Hey everyone, this is JP. Real quick before we start today, I want to tell you about an app called Train Your Ears. If you listened to the EQ episode, you heard me talk about Train Your Ears. And it's an app that really helped me to get my ear around the frequency spectrum. So if you're struggling to hear 200 hertz versus say 300 or 400 hertz, I highly recommend this app to you. Go to www.trainyourears.com slash MPT as in music production talks. And if you buy it via that link, we get a small kickback and we would really appreciate the support. Thanks so much. And on with the show. Hello and welcome. Each week on Music Production Talks, join me, Chris Jacoby, and me, JP Ruggieri, as we skip over teaching you how to make fat beats and record screaming electric guitars. Not that there's anything wrong with that. And instead, we're going to jump straight into having nuanced conversations about producing music that actually says something. If you're a musician that wants to discover how to actually record your songs in a way that you want them to sound, or you're a producer that's looking to hone your skills. Or maybe you just want to hear interesting stories from the other side of the glass, so to speak. You are in the right place. All right, let's get on with the show. All right, welcome back to Music Production Talks. I'm here with Jay Pizzle Rajiri, live from London. How's it going, JP? It's going very well. Um, been doing a lot of guitar playing, which has been great, and uh, and enjoying that. And uh, I'm also really enjoying this new Bill Frizzell biography, um, which I don't know is if it's out in the states yet. Um, it might not be, but um, keep it on your radar. It's very inspiring and awesome. And How also kind of weird. I saw some of the stuff you posted, and yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's uh it's not pg it's not pg kids all right there's some graphic <laughs> imagery in the book <laughs> um how are you chris i'm doing great uh i have gone down the hardware eq rabbit hole and correct I'm freaking out. <laughs> I'm freaking out. Uh, I mean, I know we've already talked about EQ on this show a little bit, but it was kind of dry and how to do EQs or whatever, but I'm really excited about these. So I thought this week we could just chat about that and kind of just talk like we normally talk in less of a how to EQ podcast. A little backstory here, just so people have some perspective over your craziness, which I love. Um if if you went back about six months ago, Chris was on this this complete obsession about how he just hated EQ. Pretty much what happened is he read Al Smith's book <laughs> and <laughs> that was it. He was just done with EQ. That's not all and of he, it, but okay. It was that was pretty much the gist of it. And uh, if you, uh, for those of you who don't know Al Smith, he he was a legendary engineer and mix engineer. Um, who grew, who who came out of out of a, a a much older old school era where EQs weren't uh, as flexible as, as or even they, available or even available as they had they were to become and so he he just learned to kind of EQ with the microphones and the placement and stuff um, and so and so this whole time that Chris was going on this 
rant, me and our friend Jared just kept going, all right, how long is it going to be before Chris is just buying all of these EQs and he's obsessed with them again? And so sure enough, here we are. And Chris is like, he just bought a bunch of API EQs and Kush Audio EQs. And he's just texting me every day, freaking out (laughs) about how much he loves EQ. (laughs) Pretty much. Pretty much. So that's what we're going to be talking about. But here's what happened. All right. I read Al's book. I think... I'm not sure where I heard. I mean, I I knew the name, but I think maybe I heard a podcast with him or something. I just stumbled upon it. And he was just talking about like, yeah, I just use my mics as EQ. And I was like, what the heck? How is that possible? And so I read his book and I watched every video I could find and listened to every interview. And I listened to a bunch of his recordings and they sound freaking great. And I was like, yeah. how is he doing this? You know? And so that forced me to learn a bunch about microphones and microphone placement, which I'm very thankful for that I went through that phase. And, um, and I was listening to a lot of his recordings and you just get kind of used to what that sounds like. And then I would listen to like a modern recording that's all carved up with EQ. And it was like, Oh gosh, what is this? Like it was so offensive to my ears. And I started listening to a lot of Ryan Freeland's, stuff too and he doesn't really use eq both of those guys they they will put like a little bit on the stereo bus but it's mainly like if i want it bright i use a condenser if i want it darker i use a ribbon and i know ryan freeland oftentimes puts like both on a source and then kind of uses that as an eq right um but yeah there's something cool about that approach and then we were kind of doing the EQ episodes and I was like, I don't know why we're talking about this. I guess, <laughs> I guess JP's into it, but you don't need EQ. And I was mixing, uh, live at the time. And, uh, I was doing mm. this church gig every Sunday and, you know, I had all these EQs in. I was like, screw it. I'm going to take them all off and all the compressors. And it was so bad that the pastor came to me and <laughs> was like, hey, man, I listened to the live stream this week, and it sounded rough. What was going on with that? And I was like, I don't know. Maybe I just made up some excuse. And then I was like, all right, so I got to bring the compressors back. And But then I just started listening to things. I was like, okay, well, I need some different mics on the drums. I need a different mic on this guy's vocal. These girls' vocals sound good and the bass. And, and I just started buying these different mics and got them all in the right spot and and then I stopped using EQ and it sounded great. And I think especially live because everything's bleeding into everything that no EQ right. thing really worked. And if you think about uh, Al Schmidt and Ryan Freeland, they do a yeah. lot of records where it's a bunch of people live in the room. So yeah, totally. Anyway, I think it's a totally valid approach. I think it's really cool. And I think it's worth going down that rabbit hole. Having said that. Having said that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now I've gone full circle and I'm Okay, so what yeah. was the turning point? What what got you what 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 got you obsessed again? Um I don't really know. I can't pinpoint it. I think just we we've been talking about EQ and we've been analyzing some songs, you know, and then you're like listening to the EQ curve of different instruments like on the Lanwa thing and the Feist record we and it's like i don't know i just started hearing it you know it's like okay well this is also a valid sound and approach so i guess i need to understand how to do this um yeah i think that was it 
And now I'm just determined to like figure out how everyone's EQing everything. All right. So let's, let's, let's talk about what you've been doing the past week or two, what, what you got in the mail and what you've been doing with the things that you got in the mail and what you've been learning from it. Uh, okay. Before, oh, before we get into that, I think it was cause I, I heard a Daryl, uh, Daryl Thorpe interview and Daryl, mm. you know, he, he uses like 14 Grammys or something. And he started out at, uh, well, I think he started out doing hip hop. He's like a former military guy. He's doing, and he was like, I'm going to go into sound. Uh, he was doing hip hop. And then at some point he got a job at Ocean Way and he's, he'd been there like a year, you know? still kind of in training and Nigel Godrich started making a lot of records there. And then he kind of became Nigel's right-hand man. Mm. And he was talking about how he'd been seeing all these American engineers come in and if they were using EQ, they were like, I'm just adding two DB at 10 K. They were being very timid. And he's like, I don't understand this. Cause then they send it to like big mixer guy on an SSL. And that guy's like cranking all over the place. And at that point they were still working on tape. So it's like, so now you're just boosting noise. Like, why don't you just go ahead and like EQ it on the way? You know, it's going to be EQ'd at some point. And Nigel Godrich come in, comes in and he's like British and it's a totally different school of thought. And he's just like cranking on everything, you know? Mm. And I was like, that's kind of cool. And I really like Nigel Godrich productions. So I think that was the turning point. Um, yeah. So yeah, well, what, I think, yeah, I, go think ahead. I, th- I think a big part of this whole thing just from talking to you has been uh, uh, API style EQs, which we talk about why they're unique in the, um, in the first EQ episode. So go, so go back and check that out. If you're curious about the proportional Q, proportional um, Q, that's the whole thing, the API EQs, but yeah, tell us a little bit about what you got and what you've been learning from it. Yeah. So, so far I've got an APA API 560, which is a, graphic eq let's see it has one two three four five six seven eight nine ten bands one in each octave so if you heard us on the eq episode talking about learning to hear Mm. each octave they're all right there it's like oh 63 125 just grab it and um i got that one mainly for eqing kick drums uh because i did a little shootout with the plugins and it seemed like most things I really liked the 550 on, which is their three band EQ, but the kick drum, the 560 was a little more flexible. And so was was, was that just because of the the frequencies that you could you could choose or the there's more frequencies available or I think what it's that there's it? more frequencies. Okay. Um, so, so what kind of moves were you doing on the 560 that you couldn't do on, on the? On well, I mean, it's yeah. kind of like a scoopy smiley face thing. Like you can add a little. Okay. And, and from what I've read about it, you kind of want to try to make like smooth curves with it. So right now I'm, I'm looking at it, and I've got like a little, probably like a three dB bump at like 63, which is around the fundamental of the kick drum, and then I'm sucking out like six dB at 250 which is kind of that, I don't know, low, mid, crud uh, that most closed mic drums have. And then I'm doing like a little boost at 4K and then all the other sliders are kind of like connecting those dots in like a smooth line. Whereas with the 550, I did the same thing. Like I gave it a little, I think on the 550, it's like I, I gave it a little 50 hertz on the bottom 
sucked out some 250 and then added some time. And it just didn't sound as good. I mean, it was like, yeah, it sounds fine. It would work in a pinch, but the 560 just sounded better doing the same moves for, for whatever reason. So with the smiley face EQ setting, like you're talking about in the 560, um, I mean, you could pretty much, I, I guess like I'm, I'm not stating this. I'm more just like asking it as, mm-hmm. as a question. Cause if you, if you set the 550A so that it was on a, a shelf on the outside, you, you know, on the bottom and the top mm-hmm. and not a bell, then effectively, effectively you would have a similar curve, right? Yeah. That's, I mean, that's is, what is that I was how thinking. how you were doing it? Yeah. That's what I was doing. But I think what's different is, all right, let, when you cut on the mid band on the 550 at like, I think it has 200, not 250, and you do a 6 dB cut, it's like a notch right there. Yeah, yeah. And then you've got these two shelves happening. Whereas on the 560, I think it's a much smoother kind of scoop out of the mid range than just a notch at one frequency, if that makes okay, sense. Okay, so it's, it's like a wider... Yeah, I think it's like uh, a wider, wider kind of cut. scoop. Okay. Yeah, because like on the 550, you're taking out like 6 dB at 250. And you might be taking out some 500 because of this. But like if I look over here, I'm taking out like 4 dB at 500 as well. And then I'm taking out like 3 dB at 1K. So I think it's just... It's wide, yeah. Gets a little... uh, Yeah, it's a little more... um, Got a little more control. Yeah. But um, I also ordered some Kush Audio... Um, Electras, which is another 500 series EQ, and they're cool because they're half the price of an API, but uh-huh. and they're four bands. So on the bottom, you have a 90 hertz uh, shelf, super wide, smooth shelf, and okay. you can boost and cut uh, 9 dB. And there's also a high pass filter that's sweepable from like. 25 to 400 which is wild wow that's really uh, cool yeah and you don't what, have to what, use that what was the what was the the frequency of, of the bottom uh 90 90 okay yeah and then you've got a high band also a super wide shelf and that one's sweepable from 3.8 to 20k uh and you can add wow it's flexible yeah plus or minus 12 and then okay. what's cool? This is why I got it. The mid there's, there's two mid range frequencies. One sweepable from thirty to seven thirty, and one's from two fifty to five point four k, which seems very random. But anyway, these yeah. are these both have proportional Q, like the APIs. Mm-hmm. So I uh, and there's also a plug in version of this. So I tried it just on like toms where you're not really doing that much. Maybe you're just adding a little top and maybe on a higher time you're taking out a little bottom rumble. And I shot out the 550 versus the cushion. It was like I couldn't tell a difference. And same on hi hat. And I think overheads the 550 beat it a little bit. So I was like, all right, I'll get a few of these for just like things where you don't need to do a little bit, but you want to give it you know, a little extra 5K and take out a little something. Um, right. And then I ordered some 550s, which have not arrived yet, which I would really like for, especially snare top and overheads. Um, right. I think that'll be cool. And you you got the the 550As, the three band? 
the 550As. I also bought a 550B to use on bass. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, because I, again, I'd done a bunch of shootouts and the, it, same, kind of the same thing as the kick drum where the 560 just was, it had a few more frequencies and a little more flexible. The 550B is four bands. And so I was able to like cut a little mid and also boost a little high mid without having to do like a high, like too high. That was the thing on, like on the, the high frequencies were too high for me to want to boost that on a bass. So I needed like a high mid knob to boost where I wanted to boost on the bass and then a low mid knob to cut a little bit on the bass mm. and then a low band to boost you know some lows on the bass so the 550b seemed to work better for that and i bought it on freaking reverb and then the guy just refunded me and i messaged him and i was like what's going on why'd you refund me and he's like oh we uh needed at the studio but and then he went and relisted it with another one like a pair of them I was like, this dude's right. just trying to like sell a pair instead of having to deal with like yeah, yeah. shit to him. So, so that was did, frustrating. Did you did you order another one? Because no, because I can't. Ton of like that that was the thing. Like I I made an offer and I got a good deal on that one. Uh, right, and there's yeah. only one more up there, and they're asking like way too much for it. And I've been checking yeah, eBay, yeah. and they're not on there. So now I'm just kind of waiting around for a decent deal on a 550B to come around because right. I have been, I have been trying to get deals on all these. Um, and I think I did on the 560, and I certainly did on the Kush Audios. I think I paid like 300 bucks for each one of them or something. Wow. That's yeah. amazing. So That's great. Anyway, but I think the thing, like all of this is just, like I watched some of Daryl Thorpe stuff, and one of his like online video course things, whatever you call it, you know, they give you the multi-tracks, and I'm listening to these, and I'm like, these just sound done. Like... Mm-hmm. I like mixing is just going to be like, oh, a little tweak here, balance the levels, put some reverb on it or whatever. And it's done. Like, yeah. Um, and that's what's really exciting to me because the thing I've always run into is, yeah, I have all these plugins and they're great. It's like I put them on there and then I'm, you know, doing something and I lose the plug. I have to take the plugin off or there's some CPU, whatever. And like the people like when you're playing, you can't hear the EQ because you want low latency modern. It's just like, I just a pain in the butt. And I suppose with the Apollo, you can, you know, record some things on the way in. But I will say I shot out the hardware with the software and okay. in the, in the low end, like cutting the low mids, adding the little bottom, no difference. But like doing that 4k boost on the kick drum, like the plugin hurt. Like, yeah, it was this, remember when we did that EQ shootout and we did the Neve, thing on the top end of that acoustic guitar yeah. and it was that really brittle yeah. harsh it was the same thing on the api and it makes me wonder if like a hardware 1073 or 10 uh 1084 neve eq doesn't have That's that awesome you know what i mean yeah. like maybe the high end's a lot smoother on that but yeah yeah so well, the only thing to do now is just buy a bunch of Neve EQs. <laughs> no. Yeah, this is getting out of hand, and we don't recommend that anyone does what we've been doing, and, unless unless you want to make awesome recordings. Uh, yeah, but uh, I mean, I think a lot of this we've talked about this is that um, I mentioned I think last episode that we're moving to Nashville, and I'm just in this awful like holding pattern where I'm not starting any new projects pretty much done with the projects I was working on. I'm just sitting around 
waiting on reverb that. buying yeah. stuff that <laughs> i may or may not need um but now I don't know. You, you were you were talking to me too about just like the physicality of having a piece of hardware to like what have you found uh, are you making different decisions uh, from just getting your hands on some knobs versus a plug-in or yeah like yesterday uh, so i'd been doing all this like shootout stuff on drums but i was like man i wonder what these sound like on you know different things so i ran like an acoustic guitar through the kush uh eqs and it was just yeah it was totally different than I, i maybe i would end up in the same place i don't know but it was like I felt like I was using the creative side of my brain versus like the analytical side of my yeah. brain. It's it's like, yeah, I know these are kind of the ranges I probably want to affect on an acoustic guitar. But once I got in there, I don't know. It just, yeah, like, okay, I added a little top, but I probably added more than I would have on a plug-in because I would have been like, ooh, I'm adding six. Whereas on the Kush, it's... It's only labeled at zero and then 12. So everything in the middle is kind of like, I don't know how much I'm doing. That sounds good. You know? Right. And then yeah, yeah. That's cool. There was like some weird kind of low mid thing. And I just kind of swept around and tucked it out. And I have no idea what frequency it was, which mm. part of me, like my engineering, the engineering part of my brain's like, oh gosh, this, is, this is not repeatable. <laughs> I don't, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then the creative part of me was like, well, it sounds freaking great. Like I popped the EQ out and popped it back in. I'm like, that's way better. And then I did some more EQ in on this song I just had sitting around. And um, I don't know if you know this keystroke. I just learned this one where if you highlight a track and then you hit shift A, this is in Pro Tools, it'll bypass all the plugins. So oh. I took my whole mix, I highlighted I all the tricks, and I Apple ate it while I clicked out the hardware EQs, and it was like, "Well, that sucks." And then I popped them all in, and it was like, "That sounds like a song now," you know. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That's been fun, but um, man, yeah. So I'm just geeking out. Yeah, I, 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 I find that with um, with hardware too. It's just uh, I'm not as timid with it for some right. reason, and and it it does feel uh to like a totally different thing when using it um it's just i don't know the the physicality of it and uh it's more exciting and yeah it feels like a like a guitar pedal or a guitar amp or something like you don't think about like the mm. the eq knobs on your amp you have no idea how many db you're boosting or what the q is or any of that yeah, crap just, you just turn just it doing and it. go yeah that sounds cool and same with right. pedals like most of them don't have like you know it's got like a tone dented knob knobs or, something. or what yeah yeah it's like that's cool yeah that's a really good point um huh. and the other the thing i'm realizing about eq unlike compression like if you over compress on the way in you're screwed like there's no right. one doing that but especially with these apis that do have dented knobs you know it's like oh you know what i sucked out a little too much low mid on the kick drum just add it back like you know what frequency you did or like, yeah. oh, you know what? I need a little more. And I feel like it's probably not going to affect things too much. Um, right, right. Especially if you do it, like if you are doing some compression, you're doing the EQ probably after the compressor. And so it's mm. the last thing you did, just undo it, you know? Yeah. So that that kind of gives me a little more uh, confidence to just crank on it and not really worry about it because it's probably undoable, you know? Yeah. Whereas a compressor, that, you could get into trouble, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's true. 
Um, did you did you try the five sixty on acoustics as, as well when you were, or did you did you, did you just do the uh, Kush audio? I think I just did the Kush audio because I don't know. To me, it's like an acoustic guitar. Just unless you're doing like a lo-fi thing, I want that you know eight, ten, twelve k shelf on it. And the 560 right. doesn't have a shelf, you know. Yeah, I guess yeah. you can kind of make one. But make one, yeah. I don't right. think it's quite the same. But right. I don't know. I'll Once try your it. your 550s have come them. in, yeah. that's going to be, it's, that's gonna be the jam for that. Yeah, just everything sounds like Fleetwood Mac now. All right. Well, let, why don't you give the listeners out there some example of records to check out maybe that were recorded and mixed in a way that you were talking about don't have eq and then records that did have eq on them just to if people want to get their ears around that i think that's a really cool thing yeah i mean i would just uh just google al schmidt discography or whatever and just mm-hmm. find something that you like. I mean, a lot of it's, you know, more in the big band jazz world or even small group jazz, but um, that stuff. And what, then Ryan Freeland's records. Um, mm. what, you know. what, what's, what's the Bob Dylan record that oh, Al, yeah. Al, Al, Al um, Smith did? I forget what it's called. I can't remember. Uh, but that, that one's freaking he awesome did, sounding. Yeah, he did a record with Dylan in his... Um, when that, it, sometime in the 2000s, I think that came out, right? Yeah, that sounds right. It it's, was a, and it's it Dylan was doing later like standards album. or something. It's, yeah, it's the one where Dylan's playing a bunch of standards. And um, yeah, yeah, that's that's like, that's like a good example of the Al Schmidt sound, I feel like. And right. if you get the Al Schmidt book, he ha- actually has a diagram of his setup for that. So it's basically like Dylan in the middle on a U47, and then everyone else is kind of in a circle behind him. And I think they're all, <clears throat> excuse me, all of those instruments have um, like ribbons on them, I think. And so there's just this natural depth of like his vocals like up front and pretty dry. And then all the instruments are just kind of sat back and dark and, you know, and mm-hmm. so that's like one approach. And then, you know, if you listen to something he did with like Frank Sinatra or Ray Charles or something... He's using more condensers. Everything's kind of more bright and exciting and up in your face, you know? And so that's the thing he's talking about where like if I use ribbons and I place them kind of far back in the room, I get this kind of depth. And if I use a condenser, I get this other kind of thing. Um, So that's really cool. And then the Ryan Freeland stuff, like uh, probably that Ray LeMontagne, God Willing and the Creek Don't Rise album, um, I know he, I think he did a little bit of EQ on his stereo bus and then Bob Ludwig added a little more top on in mastering. Cause I remember him, Ryan Freeland talking about that and he was like, I didn't really like it, but Ray and Jay Beller as mm. the drummer are like, yeah, I kind of like a little more high end, but you know, right. but you know, it's like a pendulum. It's like, if you make it brighter, it's not as like warm and inviting and you yeah. make it warm. It could be muddy. You know, it's like one man's muddy is another man's like, you know, warm and yeah. whatever. So, um, yeah. So I, I would just suggest listening to that stuff for 
a couple weeks straight, kind of put yourself on a musical diet. Because then when you go back and listen to some of your favorite records that probably have a lot of EQ on them, it's like, oh my gosh, like you really hear it. Uh, yeah. Whereas before you were kind of desensitized to it. A, a musical diet. I a musical that. diet. That's great. <laughs> That's really well put. Um, I, I love the idea of, um, you know, I feel like so many, so many times um, when the topic of microphones or EQ or just like any studio equipment comes up, it's like, well, what microphone do you use for this? And like, if you're recording that, like, what's the EQ settings that, that you use? And it's like, well, it's not really about that. It's totally about what you just said about like, you know, painting a picture and how you want to do that and and knowing that the darker things are going to be in the background and and the brighter things are going to be right up front in the mix and right. and they're going to sound more exciting and the contrast of those like having you know like like making the choice that the vocal is going to be the the center of the stage right up front so you're going to make it bright and and to contrast that you're going to make the other things around it a little darker because, you know, if you don't, then everything's bright and it's not going to sound up front anymore. Yeah, uh, and that's um, that's something I'm kind of wary of with the EQ thing is that everything sounds better with a little 10K on it. You know what I mean? It's like, but then you're going to get to the mix and it's like everything's going to be bright and then yeah. nothing's bright. You know what I mean? Whereas, well, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure like you know like you're in the in the in the, the great phase right now where you just got a, a new piece of gear and yeah, you're pushing right. it just cranking it on everything yeah of course and 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 then you, you know you'll do that for like a month and, and then you have a really good idea of how of the, of the sound of it and and be able to go from there yeah right but yeah that's and it's all part of the journey it's funny with the with the daryl thorpe thing um because i watched this video where he's just like I mean, he's just cranking on everything. I mean, it's like everything's yeah. getting 10K, he, he everything's getting like, 100. He does big moves on EQ. Yeah, but then he, like the next video, it's like, all right, I'm sitting down to mix the song. He's like, one thing I struggle with in all my mixes is like, everything's just really harsh. You know, I'm like, well, duh, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but I think for him, he's like, I want to get it bright and in your face, but also in control and the trick i learned from uh which he talks about a little bit too i, I learned from reuben cohen when uh, i was sending my stuff to get mastered at lurson in their chain they do like eqs and then they do the manly very mu compressor and then they do uh like a deesser a high frequency limiter and he was talking about how he does that and a lot of like T-Bone Burnett stuff, they do that. Well, they'll, they'll brighten something up and then they'll follow it up with a de-esser or a multiband compressor to kind of tame the super peaky stuff, but it's still bright. And I think about like tape, you know, back in the day, guys were like adding top end. Like this was a common trick, like on the API, like add 6 dB a 10K and then record it to tape and then roll off the 10K. And you'd get rid of some of the tape hiss, but you'd still have it about the same brightness that it was oh, right. uh, prior. But it's like, when you think about tape, like a lot of the sound we hear is actually that the tape has degraded and the high frequencies have kind of fallen off. And then there's also kind of a built-in EQ curve um, 
And so that's something I've thought about a lot is like, it'd be cool to kind of do these EQ moves to where everything sounds, you know, exciting or whatever, but then follow it up with DSing maybe in the box to kind of tame some of that extraneous, harsh, high end or whatever. But yeah, I don't know. That's you, something I'll mess You were with. telling me too that I think it was Ryan Freeland. Um, am I remembering this right? That if he does, or maybe it was someone else, after every thing that gets boosted, there's a DSer after it. Who was that that you were um, telling me about? It? Well, actually, Al Schmidt and Ryan Freeland and then Larson Mastering, they all do that trick. Like, okay. So, I mean, it seems like with Ryan Freeland, he's like tra- he's like doing the Chad Blake thing where he's tracking through his stereo bus. Like he never turns the stereo bus off because he's like, well, I know it's going to go through this eventually. I want to hear it like all yeah. the way through. And so he's adding a little top and bottom. And then I think he hits like a multiband compressor that's kind of just taming different frequency ranges. Um, and then he's going to his compressors or whatever. Uh, and Al Schmidt, I think, often used a multiband compressor on his stereo bus, and occasionally he would add uh, an NTI EQ, which use is the company that's now Mog, and they make that airband thing. Yep. You would add like a little bit extra air, but I think the multiband compressor is pretty key. And like, because uh, I'm right, so I'm saying DSer and the multiband and like. They're similar. A multiband just affects more frequency ranges than just highs, but um, a multiband has DSing happening too. Just does more than that. But um, yeah, and yeah. J- just just real quick, I don't mean to interrupt, but for yeah, people who don't know, all a DSer is is basically a compressor for the high end of things. Usually starting at what, like two K, three K. Yeah, I mean, they're all sweepable, like 2K up to wherever, yeah. you know. And so basically what that means is if you're still a little confused on compression, go listen to the compression episode or shoot us a message uh, on Instagram. And um, and but, the, but basically, just real quick, com- what a compressor is doing is it's just compressing, meaning bringing the level down. And so what a deesser does is if you set it to say 3k any frequencies that come in around that 3k range it's going to bring the volume down on that one spot. So right. a multiband compressor then is doing that same thing just usually on on like four bands yeah. instead of just just the one. So you could set it for like 60 hertz and then another one at like 500 hertz and those two areas now are getting c- compressed meaning that the that the level is being brought down just on that one area. Right. And it, another way people refer to a multiband compressor is like a dynamic EQ um right. which is maybe a better way to wrap your head or that can help kind of wrap your head around it. Um, and in my experience, cutting above, I don't know, one K or something. I don't know. It can get kind of weird. Like if you just, let's say you have a, 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 well, I was dealing with this earlier this week. Um, I was mixing this track for this girl and she had this really pronounced S around seven K and you could just take an EQ and notch out 7K, but typically what you find when you just do a static uh, cut is it's like you lose a lot of presence 
And what you really want is on the S's and on the parts where maybe she's higher in her range and singing a little louder and getting a little more uh, spitty or harsh sounding, that's when it tucks in. But then when she's singing low and maybe she's not making the S sound, nothing's happening. Uh, whereas the static EQ, when she's singing low and there's not a lot of S's, it's just going to sound kind of wrecked. Um, so Yeah, so yeah. It, it's basically just it kicks in the EQ depending on how loud that one area becomes, like how yeah. much of a problem that it becomes. Yeah. And then the EQ turns on. Yeah. But and it, anyways, yeah. I cut you off at some point. You were right in the, in the, in the middle of saying something. Uh, I don't remember what it you was. You forgot. Damn it. Sorry. I should have just waited. I should have okay. waited. When when uh, was it? Like a few minutes ago or like... It was oh, because like I, was, I was talking about using the DS or whatever. But no, I mean, I think we covered it. It's, yeah. you know, thinking of it as a dynamic EQ or a high frequency limiter as opposed to a DS. Or maybe that helps people realize like, okay, yeah, I can use it on more things than just S's, you know? Yeah. Um, but that's a cool trick. And, uh, yeah, I think that's kind of everything I've been geeking out with. Um, oh, I will add one more thing. Um, well, no, two more things. Okay. One, I just tried out that little labs voice of God plugin that UAD Uh, makes. Have you messed with that at all? No, I always hear people talking about, I don't even know what it does. So I think the guy does, uh, Jonathan Little is the guy that, it's behind that company. Um, and he, I think he used to be the tech at like Sunset Sound and fixed all their gear. Or maybe he was a tech at multiple studios in LA. Um, but his idea was, okay, if a vocal's a little thin, you could add some kind of fake proximity effect to it. Um, but it seems like it's really cool on low-end stuff too. But basically what it does, and you could replicate this with a parametric EQ, it just wouldn't be as easy to use because the little lab, the VOG has like two knobs. Um, but basically it does a big boost, I think up to like 18 dB boost, like a peak. But then right below the boost, it does like a high pass filter that's like a 24 dB per octave. So like a super steep high pass filter right below a boost. Mm-hmm. So you get this boost, but you don't get all this like rumbly crap underneath it. So it's like really tight bass sound. It's kind of interesting. Um, so I was messing with that this morning on a kick drum and kind of comparing it to the 516. It's a very different sound. Um, yeah. The 560 felt way more like a gentle shaping of the sound where this was like, oh my gosh, I just added like, some serious booty to my kick drum that wasn't there okay. on the recorded track. Oh, interesting. Um, and then the other thing, I think I mentioned this last episode or maybe the one before that I've been like listening to different frequency ranges and trying to decode what people did on their EQs. Mm-hmm. And so I've been taking a bandpass filter and listening to music with that. Oh, and cool. going going through each octave and realizing, okay, there's not a lot of vocal here. Okay, there is some, but it's not super accentuated. Oh, this octave, there's like a lot of activity, you know? And just trying to identify which frequency ranges each instrument really is featured in, if that makes sense. 
Yeah. And letting that kind of inform my EQ curve. So like, let's say you're, you're listening. Well, I was listening to this bass and it was like, okay, there's a lot happening at 100 and there's a lot happening at like 3K. And of course there's stuff happening in other octaves, but it was like, these are like the main homes of this bass. So mm. next time I'm recording a bass like that, I'm going to do a boost in both of those spots and kind of push it into that zone. Mm. Um, and then like, say, you know, you're listening to an electric guitar or maybe like that Feist acoustic acoustic that we were hearing. It's like an acoustic yeah. through an amp. And a lot of that was centered around like 1K. So if you're recording something like that, you can give it a little like 1K boost and kind of shove it into that yeah. part of the range. That's um, really cool. Yeah, that's a great way just to get, I feel like you're, um, bring your focus to different parts of a recording too, like yeah. individually instead of just hearing it as like one overall blob or something. It's like you're you're yeah. kind of tra- training your brain to think in, in these different segments or areas of the music which is really cool yeah that's and, great yeah, yeah and when you and you pop the plug in the eq back out and then it's like okay now i'm hearing with that range it's like you yeah, can hear it as right. part of the whole and uh, yeah i re- I, yeah. I remember when i started playing pedal steel like i was i would be transcribing and um it's always like if I'm, it's always hard transcribing stuff that's more chordal based mm, yeah. as opposed to like a single note line. That makes sense. And yeah. with the pedal steel, you like if you get into transcribing, like you really have to develop your ear in that way because that's what the pedal steel is. It's usually uh, polyphonic when it's being played. Right. Um, and I remember like after doing that for a while, going back to like, and, and like transcribing a guitar thing and just being like wow i'm hearing like i'm hearing the individual notes with inside of these chordal passages that i'm trying to figure out and it's kind of like the the same thing of what you're saying is like um when you really like focus on one area of something and and try to pick out what it is and then you zoom back out it's like you're hearing things totally differently and it's it's really exciting yeah and uh, okay this is the last thing i'm going to add uh because this is how i've been doing it i downloaded this thing called black hole it's like a free virtual um out input and output on your computer i think i have that yeah and so yeah. What you can what you can do is set up um an input into your okay so you okay let's say you're using title you you set your uh system preferences to output to black hole and so when right. you play title you won't hear anything but then go into your daw and make like an aux track and set the input to black hole and so now you're hearing the output of your music player in your daw and then you can grab, you know, a mid-side plug-in and an EQ and you just go to town and like whatever yeah, you want. So cool you don't have thing. to have like the wave file to import if you're already paying for some music streaming service. I think um, I got that for when I was using Train Your the Train Your Ears app actually because yeah. I, I had routed title into Train Your Ears so I could right. I could use it. Like that. Yeah, that's that, that's, that's how I found it too. They they mentioned a different one, but I couldn't get that one to work. And then 
So I was doing yeah, that, and then I was like, cool wait, I wonder if I can go into Pro Tools with this. And that's, that's cool. way more flexible, because the train your ears thing, it's like randomly selecting octaves or frequencies or whatever, whereas in Pro Tools, I can be like, I want this octave, you know? Yeah, yeah, so, sure. Um, nice. And that's been really that's awesome. cool, like helping me figure out what people are doing with EQs. So anyway, that's, awesome. that's everything. Well, um, I look forward to hearing about the five fifties and uh oh i'll be texting you yes thank you everybody for listening um send us your questions if you have any and we'll see you next week all right see y'all next week thank you so much for joining us on this episode of music production talks if you're enjoying this podcast and are finding it to be beneficial for your growth as a musician We would really appreciate a subscribe and a positive review on whichever platform you use for streaming. Reviews and subscribes help us grow the show and rank higher in podcast search engines. Thanks so much again, and we'll catch you next time.